Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. I finally made it to Winnipeg. <laughs> and it's wonderful to see so many of you here. And of course, the reason why you're here is, although you may not call it that, but the reason why you're here is that you're experiencing a kind of awakening, awakening of consciousness, although you may not call it that. And you are here because you recognize the possibility that this awakening may deepen by being here. And if your mind right now is puzzled and saying can you please define awakening of consciousness I'll say by the end of this evening you will know if you don't know already what it is you will understand to the degree to which it can be understood what awakening of consciousness or spiritual awakening means but more importantly the awakening of consciousness is not a heightened conceptual understanding of what consciousness is or even a heightened conceptual understanding of who you are or the it may be that also, but primarily it is the ability in you to become aware of a deeper dimension to who you are. So ultimately it's a deepening of your sense of identity. And I assume this is what our evening here is going to be about. I'm saying I assume because I don't prepare anything beforehand, so I never know what's going to come out of this mouth next. <laughs> Living in the present moment. <laughs> so, 
uh, is this is not a lecture in a conventional uh, conventional terms and although of course I speak which means I use concepts which are thoughts I use concepts here there is another dimension to this gathering which is beyond conceptual understanding it's an it's a kind of could say experiencing a deeper reality to life a deeper reality to who you are and uh, this requires you to have even if it's just a little some access in yourself to this so that you can go a little bit beyond conceptual understanding to a deeper realization that is beyond words and concepts. So I would even go so far as to say that the essence of this gathering is not to be found on a conceptual level. So I not want to discourage anybody from taking notes, but uh, you will probably derive greater benefit from this if you don't take notes, although if you feel compelled to do so, that's fine. And it is quite possible that after leaving here, you go back home and somebody says, well, what did he talk about for two hours? <laughs> and it's quite possible that you might say, I don't know. It seems very deeply meaningful, and yet... Uh, I remember a few bits and pieces. Uh, and that there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean that you've missed the whole evening. It may very well mean that you have gone deeper to a, what I sometimes call it, transcendent dimension within yourself the spiritual dimension, whatever you want to call it. These are just concepts, words. So the essence of this gathering is beyond conceptual understanding, or the conceptual understanding has two purposes here. One purpose is mentioning what stands in the way of a deeper realization of who you are, what stands in the way to a deeper awakening to who you are. So there are certain obstacles that tend to be common to all humans and they are to be found in the mental-emotional field of every human being. So it's helpful, and I will be talking about this probably, to mention certain obstacles to the full awakening, the, uh, the next, as I sometimes call it, the next stage in human evolution. Uh, seen from a larger perspective. So the other way we use words or concepts is as signposts. Signposts, I call them signposts, they are concepts that point you in a certain direction and usually the direction is within. Traditionally in spiritual discourse very often you see that in ancient old paintings, uh, religious paintings, and so on. 
very often the uh, spiritual dimension is given a certain location and often you see saints and others they have got their finger raised like this because we had a limited understanding there was up and there was down now of course we know the moment you leave this planet there's no up and down anymore so traditionally you looked upwards for something higher but I would suggest a, a more reliable pathway towards the essence of who you are it is this way, it goes within. So the words that I use very often are signposts, for example, many of you are familiar with this terminology, when I say be present, to be present, of course we'll be going deeply into this. To be present is something that you cannot ultimately understand. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's fine, just wait, just, just be here. Be here non-present until you're present. <coughs> so ultimately being, being present, being conscious, in spiritual terminology, you cannot understand conceptually what presence is. You can only experientially know what is meant by presence. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. And so I'm, right now, I'm using certain concepts as signposts towards presence. But you may notice, especially if, and many of you are already going through this awakening process, you may notice in a way that you cannot explain. As I mentioned these words, there is a kind of recognition in you of what I'm talking about, but you would not be able to perhaps explain it. Because as I talk about presence as a state of consciousness, 
as I talk about it, there's not only the words which are signposts that are pointing towards it, there's also underlying the words and in between the words, there is already that state of presence. And this is then the hidden dimension of our gathering here. The hidden dimension of this gathering is deeper than words. And this is why sometimes I slow down a bit, it just happens, so that you don't attach excessive importance or give excessive attention to the words. They are helpful, but don't be like somebody who collects signposts and has a wonderful collection. Let's say the signposts say Rome or Mecca, and they point that way and say, oh, this is a beautiful signpost. I'm going to keep this and talk about it. Then after a while, you, you confuse the signpost with the destination. <laughs> so you don't become a collector of signposts because then you become intellectually very knowledgeable perhaps about spirituality, but you're like the proverbial person who writes a PhD about honey without ever having tasted honey. <laughs> so there is, a, there is a knowing, the possibility in you of accessing a knowing that is non-conceptual. And this is completely overlooked in our civilization, almost completely because our civilization encourages the ability, even already in young children, to conceptualize and to, to analyze and to think. And be, uh, the teacher asks a question, and the best students, according to the educational system, are those that immediately go, ah, I know, that's, that's not it. And then you begin to mistake names for the deeper reality of things. It starts with something like when the child learns language and the child asks the parent, what's that? The child is looking at a big something, doesn't know yet what it is, what's that? And the dad or mum says, that's an oak tree. Oh, oak tree. Okay, thanks dad. And from then on, whenever the child looks at that kind of tree, he says, oh, that's an oak tree and you confuse the naming with what it is. In many, many cases, when, when you think you know, it's only the illusion of knowledge because you've attached labels to things. And the moment the mind attaches a label to a thing, the mind says, oh, now I know. Dad, how do birds find their way when they migrate every year from here to South America and how do they find their way back to their nesting grounds the following year? How is that possible? Dad, please tell me. And the dad says, oh, that's easy. It's instinct. Oh, okay. You've attached a label, now you think you know how it works. Oh, it's by instinct they find, then the exam comes and they write, by instinct the birds find, oh great, you at an A+. Plus. <clears throat> <laughs> so part of this awakening of consciousness is to realize that 
There is a hole hidden until now, or until recently, there is a whole dimension of consciousness in you that you had been unaware of, that you had always overlooked a whole dimension that actually our whole civilization is continuously encouraging you to overlook. Just don't look there. And there are many ways in which we can approach talking about it, but more importantly, of course, here, we are here to deepen our experience of that dimension. And that dimension of consciousness, which in spiritual traditions, all the ancient teachers have pointed to it, is using different kinds of signposts, which of course the collectors of signposts say, no, this signpost is totally different from that one. Look, they're totally different writing on it, and let's analyze it even more. Not realizing they point exactly the same way. <laughs> so the ancient teachings and teachers have spoken about it in various ways, whether they talk about liberation, awakening, salvation, or the Buddha in negative terms, the, the end of suffering, or another term the Buddha used is emptiness, which is not very inspiring, as you might have noticed, but it's very deep. If the Buddha says emptiness, he's giving you a signpost that is very hard to to take and say, I believe in this signpost, because it's a negative term. But he's pointing to a certain state of consciousness, to, he's pointing to a certain realization, and he calls it emptiness. Very wise, because this discourages people from worshiping the signpost. You can worship the kingdom of heaven, it's the term that Jesus used, by the way, they talk about exactly the same thing, as you'll see in about two minutes. They talk about exactly the same thing, but the Buddha's one of the key terms in Buddhism is sunyata, which means empty, translated as emptiness. That's an interesting choice of signposts, because you cannot uh, worship or make an idol out of emptiness, but you can make an idol out of the kingdom of heaven, because then you can say, oh, where is it? It is somewhere, probably up there, and when am I going to get there? So you create space and time, and then the kingdom of heaven is a certain location, and you can, you can even be, becomes part of your, your thought structure, and you, be, you begin to worship the kingdom of heaven, not realizing that it's a signpost. So emptiness, the Buddhist term emptiness, is closely related to the kingdom of heaven of Jesus. In churches, you, you, they won't explain it to you, of course. But, uh, <laughs> it's, it's closely related. My translation of emptiness is spaciousness. And my translation of the kingdom of heaven is kingdom, in modern terminology, is dimension. Heaven is the vastness of the sky. This vastness of the sky, the sky stands for spaciousness. The dimension of spaciousness is the kingdom of heaven, 
which is Buddha's emptiness or spaciousness. Same, same thing or the same? No thing. And what is this thing? What is this dimension of spaciousness? It is a dimension within you. It is a dimension of consciousness that is possible for humans to access, although in most humans it only exists in seed form as a potential. Not that many humans uh, have actually even begun to realize that that dimension exists in them, except you, and that's why you're here. <laughs> but even you might only have had an inkling. An inkling is enough to bring you here. And you don't know quite, may not even know why you've come here, but there's, then you know there is something here that is extraordinarily important. Because if there was not something here that, that is extraordinarily important, how could you possibly listen to a man talking, sitting on a chair for two hours? <laughs> <laughs> it would be excruciating. <laughs> Usually this is a stage when things happen. <laughs> dramatic things happen and that your attention gets captured by that. But how can your attention be captured by a little man sitting on a chair? <laughs> so if you, are, if you do not find oh, this gathering here absolutely excruciating, and you will perhaps if you were forced to come here by a friend or relative, then it is possible that you, because you couldn't say no, you could always take a workshop on how to say no, but I don't do that. <laughs> you couldn't say no, and now you're sitting there in this theater where there's not even a central aisle where you can get out. So if it's so excruciating, you have to disrupt the entire audience to leave here. <laughs> but don't be concerned. If you cannot stand it, then please feel free to remove yourself. <laughs> and you will not be judged because all the others here are spiritually advanced and they don't judge you. <laughs> So, a little bit of humor is good because it, it opens us up and while we laugh, the ego is not operating. That's a good thing, unless we laugh at somebody. But, um, <laughs> so, th the spaciousness that the Buddha refers to the dimension of spaciousness that Jesus refers to, which all the other traditions use different terminology, is a dimension of consciousness that is in you, and it, it already is in you, but it's concealed in many, not in you, but in most humans. Although there is a growing number of humans who are awakening to that dimension within themselves, but an awakening to that dimension within you is also a deepening of your sense of identity. It, and that's why it's so important. It is, totally, it is not something other from you. This dimension of spaciousness, the spiritual dimension, is not something that is separate from who you 
are in the depths of your being. So the most vital thing is to realize who you are beyond the personality. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Beyond the person, beyond the historical person, for most people, the historical person or personality is the basis for their sense of self, for their sense of identity. And that's a very limited sense of self, a very limited sense of identity. The very essence of all spirituality, if you go to the very essence of it, is it points to the possibility of realizing the transcendent dimension of who you are which is also the transcendent dimension of life itself so it is the transcendent dimension of the universe and it is the transcendent dimension of who you are they're not separate so that then is the awakening of consciousness you awaken to that deeper dimension. In ancient uh, Hindu spiritual philosophy, they have the term Turiya, which means the fourth. They divide consciousness into the, the state of being asleep, the state of dreaming, the state of ordinary wakefulness, and then the Turiya, the fourth, is points to the possibility of living, being rooted in a deeper state of consciousness than the normal waking state. And that's, that's what it is. Now, I don't want to uh, delay the secret of our gathering and the essence of this to the last minute of our gathering, I want to continuously have the essence already here, even as I talk more about it. So I'm inviting you now for the first time to, and then I'll carry on with other things, inviting you here to deepen your realization of that. So what is this inner spaciousness, what is this inact, the kingdom of heaven that is within you, what is the transcendent dimension to who I am, what is it that in ancient Greek philosophy the most important dictum was know thyself, know thyself. The ancient Greek philosophers probably this phrase know thyself is probably uttered by Pythagoras, 
one of the very first philosophers, the very person who created the term philosophy, which means lover of wisdom. Philosopher is a lover of wisdom, and wisdom is another name for that dimension, or rather, wisdom comes out of that dimension. Now, you may not necessarily be aware that, well, you probably are because you're here, there's a there's a lot of thinking that goes on in your mind. It, this, it goes on and on. It goes on and on and doesn't stop. And even if you wanted to stop, it says, why can't you stop? Why can't you stop? Well, I can't. I can't help it. And that's, that's it again. So even if you say, please stop, it's part of the thinking process. It's a, the, the voice appears in different disguises. And some people have a monologue that goes on, that comments on what is going on around you, or is totally unaware of what goes on around you, just a little bit, so you don't stumble, but, but is totally somewhere else in thought processes about the, the possible future, the, or the, the heaviness of the past. There's completely somewhere else, and it's there, there's, a, there's a voice going in, uh, inside of you. Um, Sometimes it's a dialogue because one the voice takes on one disguise and then another aspect of the voice takes on another disguise and and then there's another aspect of the voice that is your mother who passed away ten years ago <laughs> and then there's your dad and and then your mum says why do why can't you ever succeed at this what you what you can't you do please that's my please shut up mum I don't want to hear this we can't. So you can have different voices in your head. You can have an argument with yourself, which is not uncommon. It sounds quite insane, but you can argue with yourself. In, in Gestalt therapy, it's called the top dog and the underdog. So one person, why am I always fail at these things? Why am I not good enough? Well, you should try harder. Well, I'm trying hard, but I just can't. So the, this is the voice in the head. This, these are compulsive, incessant thought processes. So whether you are completely absorbed in that um, and not even know what your surroundings are, you just know enough to know where you're going, but 90% of your attention is absorbed in thinking. <laughs> and so you're not, you're obviously not present. You're somewhere, but you're not present because your entire consciousness is absorbed by thought and that's a normal state of being and you might have noticed a lot of that compulsive thinking is not even pleasant if it were pleasant perhaps it wouldn't be so bad it's it says nice things about people and remembering nice things and thinking about the wonderful things that are going to happen to me that would be a beautiful, pleasant dream, and you can, uh, but, so then perhaps it wouldn't be so bad, it would still be a weird dream, but perhaps not so bad, but the strange thing is, for many people, this voice in the head is a kind of torture, it, it, because it, it is very critical, of yourself or others or places or it's it complains a lot it is it seeks to be right all the time it, it seeks and it see it loves arguments 
whether you're out aloud or you're arguing in your mind with an ima imaginary opponent, <laughs> especially after something has just happened, somebody has been rude and you said, and then you start, the mind starts up thinking what you could have said. <laughs> and then, then you replay it and it becomes a huge little play where you say the most clever, hard, <laughs> and hard-hitting things to this person. And 20 minutes later, you say, oh, where am I? <laughs> and then it goes on with something else. And then it goes on, it creates uh, a lot of uh, thought about next moments, future moments, what's going to happen. And a lot of that is not pleasant because it imagines scenarios of losing something you have, not getting what you want, something you think will make you happy, you might never get it, or it's something you have, you may lose it, or all kinds of things. This voice in the head is often very negative, more freak, more, much more negative for most people than positive, strangely enough. You might notice that if, for example, a pleasant thing that you, let's say, yesterday you witnessed a, a beautiful sunset and for a moment uh, you, you, it, you felt so good and happy watching the sun go down and it was so beautiful. And then the next day, yes, you remember it and all, you, all the mind can do with that, it says, that was a beautiful sunset. Okay. <laughs> but if something unpleasant happened yesterday, the mind can get in there and create a whole train of associated negative thoughts about how unpleasant people are, about how things are, how dreadful your life is. And anyway, it's all p completely pointless, obviously. And why am I even here? I'm not going to, yeah. Now, what, what then happens is uh, gradually you form a, an identity that is based on the bundles of thoughts that you think most frequently. These bundles of thoughts arise and they become who you think you are. So when people say, my life, and often they think about, you think about my life, or you talk about my life. And what that is, if you look more closely, what my life is, it's a certain narrative in your mind that you need to revive by thinking about it. It is thought. So it's your past. It's the things that have happened to you, the things that you did. And very importantly, it's the things that you identify with. You identify with certain things. And these things that you identify with become thoughts. So as we know, people identify with possessions. Identify means uh, there's a thought that arises that says my car, for example. This is my car. This thought form, my car, gives you an enhanced sense of self, if it's a car that's better than other people's cars, or a diminished sense of self, it's an old rusty uh, car, or a bicycle. And so, if you have a bicycle and you identify with a bicycle, 
in this, this we're talking now, beginning to talk about the ego. This is the ego. This is a mind-made sense of self that is based on a narrative of me. Me and my life. You call it me and my life. It's the ego. It identifies with things. Uh, primarily what it identifies with is thought because everything that becomes a thought the car becomes the thought of my car the body is the very first thing probably that you identify with and many people go through their lives continuously carrying a, a very strong body identification but the body of course becomes a mental image of my body and it's it's a possession people don't say I am a beautiful body that would sound very strange because they say I, I have a beauty or I am an ugly body no that sounds very weird I you have an ugly in the same way that you have a car you have a body you have an ugly bo or beautiful body or in between uh, so, so very strange so this gradually a construct arises in your mind and that is the conditioned sense of self. It is conditioned by the past. When the voice in the head thinks, a lot of the thinking it does is about my life, your life. My life is very important. My life is the most important thing to me, but it's my life. Of course, I have to think about it. It's, and it is problematic, that's for sure. <laughs> and probably more problematic than anybody else's life <laughs> because everybody else is fine I get that's what I see in their Facebook pages they're all fine <laughs> they're all enjoying the best meals all the time they go <laughs> so the mental image that they have they've had it for thousands of years you live in a mental image of me now through the miracle miraculous powers of technology you can actually amplify through technology you can amplify the mental image of you and send it out into the world and you can polish it so that it looks better before you send it out before you send it out you say oh this looks great do i look happy enough yes And so Facebook is full of happy, happy entities. <laughs> but if you look, it's all a phantom. It's a phantom created by the mind, but the egoic sense of self. Amazing. The very, the very first time this happened uh, is in Greek mythology, it goes back whether this person ever existed, we don't know, probably not, but there's deep truth in this mythological figure. Uh, the very ancient Greek myth is this young man who was incredibly beautiful, apparently, and, of course, at the time they had no mirrors, and he couldn't take any selfies. <laughs> One day he happened to see his image in a pool of water, and so the first time he saw his image, oh, by the way, his name was Narcissus. And so he looked into this pool of water and the story goes that he fell in love with himself. <laughs> B 
but uh, I think a better translation would be uh, he became obsessed with himself. In other words, what this mythological story points to, oh, by the way, he did not end well after that thing went downhill, but we don't need to go there. <laughs> the, he looked into this pool of water and there was suddenly something arose within him which was a mental image of who he is. And that's, this mythological story shows the beginning of the egoic sense of self. Because the ego is a mind-created phantom self that people carry around with them, but they don't know that they carry this phantom self because they are so identified with this phantom self, they become it. And that is identification, ego identification. And that is what in many spiritual traditions is called a false self. I don't call it a false self because it has its place. I call it your, it is your form identity. The form that you are. The form is the physical form of your body and the form is the psychological form it's thought forms, emotional and, and mental forms of who you are. So every human being has a form identity. The body and the mind, they together are the, the form identity. And that is fine, but if that's all you know of yourself, then your life is very, very limited. And not only is it very limited, it also is very frustrating because if you're looking of, for some kind of ultimate fulfillment or ultimate happiness, whatever you want to call it, or ultimately find, finding a complete sat and satisfying sense of self, if you're looking for that on that level of your form identity, you will never find it. That's everybody who reaches a certain age begins to realize, almost everybody, and sooner or later everybody, my life isn't working quite out the way it's supposed to, was supposed to work out. Where, what's happening? Something's gone wrong. And then you look, I need something to enhance this deficient sense of who I am, this deficient sense of self, this is always an underlying, always some underlying discontent, always something, a sense of not having arrived yet, a sense of not being at, not really being at home where you are, not, not being comfortable in your own skin, as the expression goes, there's always something missing, and, and a, a few times you think, I found it now, it's there, whether it's a possession, you suddenly you buy something and for a few days or a few hours it enhances your sense of self because it, you have superiority. This is a, a big thing about the egoic sense of self. It always compares itself to others. In, am I inferior or superior to this? Okay, I have, if I buy this, I'm superior because I mean, as you know, some people are addicted to shopping, so they, you can buy a, an expensive designer thing and immediately it becomes a mental image. It's in, incorporated into your sense of self. I'm wearing Prada. Well, I'm not, but... The, <laughs> but I think the devil wears Prada, isn't that a movie? 
so for a moment it gives you an enhanced sense of self. But it doesn't last for very long, because, and then dissatisfaction creeps in again. And so you have the, the story of me is not that happy, and for many people, now this is very important, many people walk around with a very unhappy narrative. And this unhappy narrative gives them their sense of self. So they are an unhappy person, like walking around with a burden, and they have a narrative. If you talk to them, you say, what about your life? They might say, oh, let me tell you about my life. <laughs> oh, it started going wrong when I was two. <laughs> Dreadful childhood. Never had a chance after that. Then my wife, she she was just completely betrayed me, complete betrayal. Just everybody I've ever known let me down. The universe is against me. And I now realize that the world is an awful place and my life is dreadful. You don't realize that there's a narrative in your mind that is making you unhappy, but you believe you're so identified with this dream of thinking that that becomes you. <laughs> so, so people walk around with an unhappy identity, not realizing that it is created by the storytelling in their minds. This is the story of me and it's an unhappy one. Wow, that's quite a realization, but then of course, this is, could be the beginning of, a, of an awakening of consciousness when you realize what is it that makes me so unhappy. And then you need to kind of begin to wake up a little bit. And you begin to wake up a little bit out of the complete identification with thinking. And this waking up a little bit out of the complete identification with thinking, we could call that the arising of awareness, or we could call it the arising of presence. And that is that deeper, or higher, could call it, but I call it deeper, that deeper dimension of consciousness that is not thought, that exists transcendent to thought activity. So it begins when you have the suspicion, beginning suspicion, that your unhappy self could possibly be a mental phantom. And you begin to see that the emotions that you continuously go through are actually not created to a large extent by circumstances, although it very certainly looks like it, but if you look more closely, the unhappy emotions that become your unhappy self are ultimately not created by the circumstances of your life, but are created by what this voice in the head has to say about the circumstances of your life. It is the narrative in your mind, ultimately, that creates the unhappiness, the unhappy self. And that's an amazing realization 
That happened to me one night when I was 29. I was very much identified with the unhappy self in my mind, and then this thought arose, as I described briefly in the Power of Now at Introduction, I cannot live with myself any longer. And that's a wonderful point to reach, but also a dangerous point. Because if you cannot live with yourself any longer, if you become just so unhappy, so depressed or so anxious that you experience your whole life as just a burden, you become a burden to yourself. You experience yourself as, a, as this heaviness, this heavy burden. It's potentially the most wonderful place to reach and a very dangerous place. The danger is that you commit suicide. But the potential is that, that you disidentify from the narrative in your mind and suddenly something arises within you that is able to see this narrative that's been going on for years, to see it for what it is, a story that you're telling yourself. And it's the unhappy story of me. Oh, now to see that, there needs to have been this awakening of awareness. Awareness is that space that the Buddha talks about, that is the spaciousness, traditionally translated as emptiness, not a good translation, spaciousness, that Jesus talks about as the dimension of spaciousness, kingdom of heaven, which is within you. All teachings point to ultimately the arising of that consciousness that is unconditioned, because the conditioned consciousness is your thought processes, and all your thought processes are conditioned by the past. They are conditioned by your personal past, plus conditioned by the past of the collective in which you grew up. They're conditioned by your surrounding culture. They're conditioned by certain religious beliefs. They're conditioned by political beliefs. They're conditioned by even the, the language that you grow up with is already a form of conditioning. So that's, that is all part of your form identity that everybody has. You have a past, and I have a past, and you can't deny that. It has its place, and you have a future, well, so-called. But of course you don't really, because I don't know if you've noticed, that the future doesn't actually exist. Because if it did, you would have gotten there at some point. <laughs> now, for, for many people, the, the unhappy self in their mind often looks to the future and it is a, a sword with two double-edged sword or whatever the expression is. On the one hand, you look to the future, which, what do you mean you look to the future? What is it then if it doesn't exist? Well, obviously, the only way you can experience the future is by thinking about the future. So the future consists of thought. It's the thought of future that creates future. On a practical level, I cannot deny that future is helpful. This is why we're able to meet here at a certain time, on a certain day. Otherwise, it would have been difficult. Just let's see. 
it probably would have taken several million years for us accidentally coming together here. <laughs> so obviously, on a practical level, it works, and it has to work. You need it. You can't improve without future. But on a deeper level of where you are, as concerning your identity, concerning who you are, concerning what it is that really fulfills you in life, there is no future except as a thought form, obviously. And there is no past even. Because for anything to happen, it can only be now. Happen and now, you can't separate them. Happen and past is not... Whatever happened to you in the past, happened. It, it's paradoxical when one talks about it. Obviously, when it happened, it was the now. <laughs> and when you remember it, it's still the now. But what the now is, we will see that this is the, the now is the essence of who you are. The now is that space of consciousness in which everything happens that is transcendent to everything but contains everything. And that is the essence of who you are. And you cannot know that until you become dissatisfied with the with your life. You need to some degree have some degree of dissatisfaction with your life is a necessary and wonderful thing. <laughs> because otherwise you will never awaken spiritually. As long as you have, let's say, what do people imagine? What would my best life be? I would have a trust fund. <laughs> never have to worry about earning money so I can pursue all my wonderful interests can go anywhere, satisfy any desire immediately, and anything, I can have anybody, uh, because I can buy my trophy wife, a trophy husband, I can have anything, private jet even, everything. And then that person, this trust fund person, first of all, would not be sitting here, he or she would be just absorbed in some drug or sensual pleasure and being moving towards unconsciousness, <laughs> not being challenged by life whatsoever. And then after a while, he or she would realize that the absence of challenges in everyday life becomes the greatest challenge and huge unhappiness would overtake him or her after a few years because there's nothing to live for anymore. Then all the little challenges that normal human beings face become one big challenge of somebody who is becoming very, very unhappy. And there's nowhere to look because where normal people, they look to things, okay, when I get that, I'll be okay. When I get that, I'll be okay. Nothing to look forward anymore. I've had it, I've seen it all. Dreadful. So, so that becomes the biggest challenge. No human being escapes the challenges of life, and this is a necessary part of living, and this is what awakens you. The becoming frustrated with this level of what I call your form identity operates on the surface level of reality. I call it I call this form identity the surface I. 
This is the surface I, which is the personality, the historical person, with its story, and it has its place. The surface I looks to the future for either great some fulfillment, or it looks to the future in dread, because the future is so threatening. The future is always the two-edged sword. It promises for more fulfillment, or it it represents the threat of loss. So the future is a very weird place to go to, and the ego doesn't know what to do with it, but it goes there all the time. Okay, people look to the future for completion, a sense of self. Now, the future is good for when you learn things on the level of your form identity, you need future, even to learn to play the piano, you need future. You can't learn the piano in one moment. Even to make a cup of tea, you need future. Anything you do, you learn another language. You learn, you have new experiences. You need future. For all these things, you need future, which doesn't exist. <laughs> but it unfolds in time. These things unfold in time. That's where future comes in. So you look, the ego looks to the future for fulfillment, but it never really comes because the future doesn't come. It's always the present moment. And it's always the dissatis ultimately dissatisfying present moment. Sometimes giving the deceptive appearance that it is satisfying. I've fallen in love with this wonderful, wonderful person. Oh. <laughs> and this love has a certain lifespan, that state of unconsciousness. And then the strange paradoxical thing is as if there were some malevolent entity trying to sabotage your life, the very person that you fell in love with that made you so happy for six months <laughs> two or three years later this person makes you dreadfully unhappy. It's called the divorce proceedings. <laughs> or you live together but hate each other. How could I ever have fallen in love with this jerk? <laughs> now I'm stuck. And then you carry the narrative of this unhappy story, me. <laughs> and everything you experience is seen through this veil of your conditioned mind. And of course the future is terribly dangerous too because although the ego doesn't want to admit it, the future obviously eventually kills you. <laughs> so the, the ego it feels drawn to the future for fulfillment but deep down it knows actually it's going to kill me. So, not a pleasant place to be, entrapped in an egoic consciousness. And it, the egoic consciousness continuously is frustrated. Always a sense of unease that is covered up often by smiles. Or, or you can cover it up with taking alcohol or certain drugs that from free you a little bit from this torture, of, daily torture of your mind. It slows down the mind if you drink enough the mind slows down and for a little while you feel liberated until you take 
three or four more, and then you become unconscious completely. Of course, it's the, at least you're not thinking about your problems anymore, so it's, it's a kind of liberation. And then this surface identity is then looking for some kind of solution on the surface level of reality. And this is where the ego tries to uh, satisfy itself, its sense of self. It does that by creating antagonism. The ego loves to be hostile towards people and situations because then it grows through that. So whenever you have an argument with somebody, the need to be right arises and that requires the other person to be wrong. It's very unconscious. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta, because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members, because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are.